this week on the reverse stick, Nick Irvin. And Nick Irvin. Yay! Once again to the Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast. My name is John Lee. Joining me, Matt Allen. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 104 of the Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast. Thank you for joining us once again. Well, we've got plenty on the show. Or maybe for the first time. Yeah, maybe. Just thanks for joining us. Thanks for downloading. Great uh, effort. Good on you. Big show tonight. Oh. We're going to be talking to uh, Nick Irvin about... Uh, his, how he got involved with hockey. Yeah. His history in hockey. And, and then we're going to be talking to Nick Irvin about where he thinks the game's going. Yeah. And then, what's uh, up after that? Uh, we'll be talking to Nick Irvin about Brexit. Now, once upon a time, John, we would split an interview like this over three episodes. Yeah, but we're um, lazy now. Um, <laughs> uh, but, so we're going to rattle through some stuff, aren't we? Very quickly. And, and then we'll get to an interview and, uh, we'll quickly rattle through some stuff at the end. I hope you're all well. Hope you've had a good hockey week. How, how's your hockey week been, John? I scored a goal. Hey! Hey! Yeah, oh, you had the high oh, five. Oh, high five. Yeah. High five. Did you hear that? That was yeah, a proper one. I did so. score a goal. I also got the flu because, uh, we played in a little bit of rain uh, and my feet got hang wet. Hang on, hang yeah. on, hang on. Yeah. Help you wash your hands. We just high fived. Hey. Are you clear now? Oh, yeah. I'm sounding all right, aren't I? Yeah, no, you know, you're good. You're better than you were a couple of days ago, anyway. That's good. Um, yeah, me? Oh, thanks, thanks for asking you. Oh, yeah. Five, five, five on one at the weekend, oh. yeah. We, uh, we play the top side this week, and, uh, winner goes top, so. We... How many goals have you scored this year? Oh, get, uh, one on, one. on oh. my 250th game. Oh, you did? And well this weekend is going to be my birthday game, effectively. Day before the birthday. I'm, I reckon I'm due another one. Oh, the race is on. It's a tight race. Yeah, it is, mate. But you know, but every, but the listeners—they've seen the shootout video, mate. They know who the real goal yeah, scorers are in this team. Yeah, we don't play shootouts our grade. News, and uh, we will be featuring Nick Irvin. And you, what, what's going on there? So I'm, I'm trying to turn the, I was trying to turn the laptop power on on the wall. I just turned your radio on. It sounded like music from a 1970s it's home your radio, video. Your radio, mate. Okay. Um, News. Well, we've got Nick Irvin coming up as our featured interview. We have what we had. Yeah. Uh, Euro 21s, congratulations. Yeah, they did happen. And, yeah, Some well test done. matches happened uh, as well. Congratulations well to Sp- winners Sp- and losers. Sp- Sp- Spain uh, winners uh, in the oh, women's, yes. well young Anna. ladies, the ladies' uh, female competition, and Germany on the men's, lads, uh, blokes, gents competition. Men's. Uh, Indoor Asia Cup, Kazakhstan, uh, the winners in the final over Thailand, 3-1 in the Women's Indoor Asian Cup in Chomburi in Thailand, and in the men's comp, Iran, surprise, surprise, uh, 10-0 winners over Kazakhstan in the final there. Uh, great to see that indoor action happening in Asia. John? Time for our featured interview. Let's get to it. <laughs> And it's featured interview time here on The Reverse Stick, and it's our absolute pleasure to welcome Mr. Nick Irvin, uh, direct from the UK. UK. Um, you'll know this voice. If you've watched any hockey over the years, you're definitely going to know this voice. Nick, welcome to The Reverse Stick. Well, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be asked to come on the show. Well, it's, 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 your name's been on our list for such a long time. You know, we've knocked off Mace, we've knocked off Morrison, now we've got the original here, um, the voice of the EHL, um, and we've got so, so much to talk about, Nick. We have indeed, and uh, th- thanks and congratulations for all you're doing. I, I don't listen to the show uh, every time, but I've got a number of them to, uh, to listen to when I get some downtime. So you're doing a great job, you guys. Fantastic, thank thanks. you now. Everyone we get on, we always have to start off with, tell us your hockey history. How did you get into the game? What's your interest within the game? Um, you know, are you still picking up a stick now? <laughs> well, if I'm picking up a stick, it's only to help me up the stairs. <laughs> the, uh, my, my hockey history goes back, obviously, like most people in the UK, I started hockey at school, and I'm still very grateful to my uh, hockey master for... Uh, plucking me away from rugby union where I was probably not going to make a great success of, of things being naturally uh, uh, 
a little bit short-sighted, shall we say, and, and, and uh, a bit of a coward. Didn't like <laughs> the game very much. I could, I could kick the ball, but every time I had to take a conversion, I had to go and put my glasses on to start with. <laughs> Perhaps not the best uh, introduction to the sport. Anyway, I got into hockey, and very soon it, I, I was discovered as being uh, something of a liability out on the field. But having, having come from a, a footballing background up until this point, and I'm 14 years of age now, um, I was uh, able to kick, so they put me in goal. And goalkeepers in those days were very different animals, had very different protection to what they enjoy today. Well, st but, st uh, still animals, I bet, though. <laughs> well, maybe maybe a little bit, but uh, they are still the people who seem to run hockey up and down uh, the country in the UK and I think probably around the world as well. They, they, you've got to be enthusiastic to be a goalkeeper, and I was certainly that. And then from then I, I got into club hockey and I, I started off... Uh, playing for a club called uh, Lockheed Leamington, uh, which had a loose association with a, with a factory, although I don't think very many of us worked in that factory. And from there, uh, that became Warwick, and I moved on to Coventry, North Warwickshire, which is where I played my, uh, my best hockey, uh, I guess, uh, in the Midlands League. Played some county stuff uh, in Warwickshire as well. But I also got involved in things like, like coaching and umpiring and an administration. I volunteered to, to help out um, organise the World Cup in, in London. That's in, in 1986. Uh, 1986. Can't remember who won it now, but it'll come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> you do, you do. <laughs> and uh, that, that was a great experience. And I was involved for uh, three years leading up to the event. But during the event itself, most of my free tournament work was over so it gave me the chance to volunteer to be the liaison officer for the Dutch uh, men's team and I've made some lifelong friends uh, in that team some of whom I still meet on occasions that I'm over in Holland which is which has been fantastic that uh, at that stage I was I was a schoolmaster uh, a hockey coach a hockey umpire all, I mean, cutter of the uh, the grass pitch, a marker out of that pitch, all the things that we did in those days as, as schoolmasters, and trying to get youngsters involved in, in what I consider to be the, the best team sport of the lot. But the 86 World Cup had given me this, this taste for the game uh, at its highest levels, and uh, the administration side of the game became uh, appealing. And so when England Hockey were recruiting, uh, I, I applied and was fortunate enough to get a job in the marketing uh, department then. I say the marketing department, it was me, to be honest with you. We had, <laughs> we had seven employees in, in, in those days. Um, and within a matter of months of me joining there, and not as a direct result, uh, but um, I like to think as an indirect result, GB went and won the Olympic uh, gold medal in Seoul. And of course, it all suddenly went went absolutely crazy and it was really as, as the aftermath of that that I took a phone call one day in the office from a guy called Peter Barraclough who was the head of sport at uh, Television Southwest and he'd done his research he'd obviously been watching the Olympics goodness I think everybody was glued to the hockey in those days yeah. uh, uh, with, with Curly and, and Dodds and co strutting their stuff and he'd realised that we were about to launch our National League in England, which in those days was sponsored by British Airways, the, the Pound Stretcher National League. <laughs> and the first fixture for his, his local team down in Exeter, a club called Isca, uh, was against Southgate, who had, I think, it might have been five Olympians in their team. And he was very keen that, that Television Southwest covered it. So he said, uh, he told me the plan. He said, now we need a commentator, Nick. Who uh, who can do it? Well, I'd got a list of our commentators. They were Barry Davis, Nigel Starmer-Smith, yeah. and Ron Jones, who was a doyen of, of radio, uh, a wonderful Welshman. So I, I ran off these names and gave him the contact numbers and, and frankly, went home for the weekend and thought nothing more about it. Then I think it was the Tuesday or the Wednesday after, after that, he came back on the phone and said he'd... He tried to get in contact with those three gentlemen and, and none were available. They were either already committed or they were still on their way back from, from Seoul. So he said, who's next on the list? And 
Actually, actually, there isn't anybody. Uh, that that is the list, and there isn't anybody else that I can I can readily think of. Yeah. But I'll have a go if you like. And it went quiet at his end on the phone for for a few seconds. He said, "Do you think you could?" Well, I'd I'd not long come out of teaching, and and to, I'm not going to give any trade secrets away. But occasionally you go into a lesson that you haven't thoroughly prepared. <laughs> so I thought, well, at least I know the subject, and and I know the players who who are involved. So I, th I said, "Yeah, I think I probably could." So I ended up sitting on a. a, a series of packing cases of camera cases on a scaffolding tower down at uh, Ottery St Mary down in Exeter oh yeah watching watching uh, Isker against Southgate and uh, had a great time and afterwards the director said you know well done Nick that, that was great how many of those have you done I said well actually <laughs> that's the first ever done <laughs> and he said well I tell you what he said you should do a few more and I went home and thought nothing more of it, but flutter is a, a lovely thing to hear always, isn't it? Yeah. And then, uh, I don't know, two or three months later, the same Peter Barraclough came back on the phone. He said, hi, Nick, it's, uh, it's Pete Barraclough again. He said, I've moved on now. I'm with, I'm with Eurosport. He said, do you fancy resurrecting your commentary career? And that was, what, 30 years ago now, and uh, I'm still pushing out the, the, the stuff, and it's been an absolute pleasure and a delight. It's lovely, and, uh, lovely to have those little links, though, isn't it? Just to come back and go, right, you know, fir first man to think of when there's another opportunity to do it. And, uh, yeah, why not? Give it a go. Fantastic. Well, Good on you. My rationale at the time was, if, if, if not me, then it probably ain't going to go on television at all. So I, I thought, well, it's, my job is to promote the sport. And, uh, yeah, it, it's been fabulous. Hockey's been incredibly good to me. And uh, I've enjoyed every moment of it. I'm, I'm just a little bit staggered by all that. You've done just about everything in the game, Nick. Uh, I have done just about everything in the game, uh, to be honest with you, yes. But um, I don't know which bit I enjoy most. I think, really, I'd, I'd happily go back and do any of the things that I've done, from playing, coaching, umpiring, commentating, marking out the pitch. I'd do anything all over again just to stay in the game. It's just been an absolute treat. We're talking about staying in the game. You're saying you, you, you're not picking up the stick anymore. We're, we're doing a fair bit of walking hockey. We've started off down here on the back of some of the great work that uh, yeah, Alan, Alan Gormley's done Alan in the Gormley, UK. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's, it's well, I've taken my eight-year-old along for the past two weeks because there's been school holidays, but she's playing with guys that are pushing towards their 80s as well, and it's it's fun for all. It's, it's a fantastic initiative. I went along to one of the very early ones uh, at Bromsgrove, uh, I was writing for the, the hockey paper and I thought this is a really good topic and I wasn't sure I was getting involved in but it, I went along on a, as I remember it a freezing cold evening at Bromsgrove and they got about 30 or 40 and I, th I think it's it snowballed since then it's a great concept and it does keep people in the game no doubt about it and there were people there using all sorts of reasons people thinking about trying to get back into the game people coming back from illness and injury um people who'd played hockey all their lives, people who'd never played hockey at all, but perhaps their other playing days were over. It was it was a great concept, and it's it's been very heartening to see how it's grown. Alan deserves great credit for it. Nick, you've had an association with uh, the, the top level of hockey since really the, the true modern era be began. I mean, I know Montreal Olympics, that was the first turf, but by 86, you know, the, the modern era had started to develop, and I'm just wondering how, how you've seen the game progress in that time. Wow, yeah, that's a, that's a big question, isn't it? With, there have been some, there have been so many changes. Turf is clearly the, the one that's, that's uh, altered the game for the better, um, most of all, I guess. I remember in 86, we only had about half a dozen pitches in the UK that we we could select uh, our World Cup venue from. Uh, now, I don't know how many pitches there are, but I guess that together with some sensible rule changes, I, I think the self-pass has, has changed the game dramatically. Improvement of equipment, and, and as a goalkeeper, or ex-goalkeeper, uh, I would have to say, I think, the fact that goalkeepers now don't go out in fear of their lives and serious injury every time they play is clearly one great advantage. 
the fact that the kit is the same weight when you finish as it is when you start <laughs> was the case. Yes. And I, as I'm walking around to my commentary box, sometimes I stop and pause behind the goals when the, when the teams are knocking in before the start of the game. And I see this ball being shelled from the top of the circle and sometimes three, four, five, six metres inside the circle. And I see these goalkeepers putting off these saves. Yeah. And I'm thinking, we would never have done that. I mean, I, I let a lot of goals in in my time. And I let a lot more in today, I can tell you. I, I, I didn't really have too many serious injuries. I think I preferred letting the ball in the net. <laughs> Probably the reason, but my goodness, they they, they do shell it around now. What? So the sticks, the sticks are obviously stiffer, more power. You, I could argue with you. Perhaps still, I'm, I'm blue in the face, and maybe there's too much power at times in in the sport, not enough, not enough artistry. Uh, but the turf, the self pass rule, uh, the interchange, I think to to, to a large extent, has all speeded the, the thing up. And of course, the accessibility now of of, of, of TV and through streaming. Uh, and whatever has also uh, enhanced the game. What, what do you think, uh, broadcast-wise, you've been involved with EHL from the, the very start, um, how do you think we've improved on that over the years? Are, are, are we doing it any better now than we were doing it three, five, ten, fifteen years ago? Uh, that, that's, a, that's an interesting... I mean, I think to an extent we, we, we have to do it a little bit better because we we have this thing now, obviously, of, of the video umpire. And if you're playing in a tournament where video umpiring is, is, is available, then you have to have a huge number of cameras straight on it. We've tried video umpire with fewer cameras, and no, it doesn't work uh, because you can't give them the right angle. So every, every decision that comes back is no decision possible, which is a, a, a complete fiasco. It's difficult enough even if you've got sort of seven or eight different camera angles, uh, but if you're down to two or three, you might as well not, not bother. The camera work, I, I, what I would say about EHL is we've had pretty much the same team of directors and camera people, uh, graphics people, um, right, the way, right the way through. They've become really sort of part of the DNA of the EHL. They're they stakeholders in it. Uh, so they are able, I think, to to forecast what is what is happening uh, more readily. Uh, their concentration is without parallel because they all do all of the games. You know, EHL is 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 uh, usually four games a day. So that's an awful lot of hockey. Yeah. And the same team are going to be involved in the upcoming Euros in Antwerp, just as they were in uh, the European or Euro hockey. Uh, championships in Amsterdam two years ago, uh, and, and they take a great pride in what they're doing. So, to me, they they are that they remain the best. But I've seen a lot of stuff, obviously, recently, as we all have on uh, on streaming and on TV. And the quality of the cameras nowadays is such that the ball is a lot easier to follow. Yes. It's not an easy game. It's not an easy game to to televise. Everybody knows that. It requires a great deal of skill of those camera people and, and they got to work at it very hard indeed and you've got to be a little bit lucky as well sometimes with the, with the, the colour of the turf and the direction of the sun yeah. it can be very difficult I've just come back from uh, Valencia where some <laughs> of the uh, the early morning sunshine as we saw in the Pro League yeah. uh, is exactly the same in the Junior Europeans a lot of reflection off the turf and it makes a white ball very hard to see I did get our good friends, when I was working at England Hockey all those years ago, I did get our friends at Kookaburra to uh, to actually make a black hockey ball because, in fact, when you're playing in bright sunshine, or under floodlights for that matter, a black ball on the turf shows up better than white because the bit of the ball you actually see is the bits in shadow. And uh, I don't want to sound like a scientist, but it was ex that was because I'm not. But uh, that was how it was explained to me, and it makes an awful lot of sense. But does that, it does it work in reverse? So I did a bit of a spoof for our hockey club having a new turf laid at a facility, saying it was going to be a black and white turf. So <laughs> w would the black turf with the white ball have the same effect? I think I might have seen that spoof actually. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think I, I think it would. Uh, and if you work in, in, in signage, they say the best colours are to, to put together actually yellow and black. So using the same logic, if you had a, if you had a yellow turf and a black ball, that would probably be the yeah. best of all. I'm not promoting it, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lifelong fan of green turf. <laughs> nothing, and I mean nothing, is going to change my mind.
Just while we're talking about EHN, we've got a question for one of our one of our Patreon subscribers, Scott Edwards, with regard to EHL, and he he's uh, he's asking. Uh, uh, your, the broadcast model for EHL was radical for the time and uh, you're at the forefront of going digital, streaming online and bypassing traditional sports broadcasting routes. Can you give any insight into the motivation as to why, why that happened all those years ago and whether that's proven to be a success? Uh, well, it's nice of him to, to, to say that. I mean, I, th- I think uh, EHL has tried to push the envelope in all sorts of ways. I mean, I suppose our, our driving force is we, we we want to get the stuff out there. Um, it's not be it's not easy to sell hockey, uh, to be truthful. I mean, in terms of selling it into mainstream um, uh, broadcasters. And back in those days when I worked with uh, what was then the Hockey Association, now England Hockey, of course, we used to have a regular conversation with a guy called Dave Gordon, who was the head of grandstand which was a massive sports uh, Saturday afternoon program with something like 13, 14 million viewers every week. This is in the days when we had sort of three channels to watch. Yeah. Uh, this argument always used to be, Nick, uh, why do you think my 14 million viewers want to watch it if you can't get you know, 1,400 people to watch it live? And that remains a huge, a huge argument when you're talking to mainstream broadcasters. Unfortunately, it is really only, only the, 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 main, the mainstream broadcasters that are exciting to commercial sponsors, people who are going to pay for this production, because whether you're streaming or whether you're televising, if you're producing a signal to the quality that we're going to need, a broadcast, the quality that we're going to need, even to identify the issues of video umpiring, then you're talking about mega bucks. I mean, major, major money. And I don't think the general hockey public are quite aware of just how costly these things are. Well, somebody has to pay the bills. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think Europe needs um, needs to become bankrupt in doing it. So we, tr- we try and cut our cloth accordingly. Um, this year there are going to be some changes, of course. We've got the women coming in. But also um, we, we're going to try one or two new things as well, uh, tweaking things. You'll, you, you may have already seen a, a new logo coming out, which yeah. is an indicator that, uh, that uh, things are starting to change. The old logo and the old presentation package uh, has done done us very well, hasn't it? 12, 13 years usage out of that. So it doesn't owe anybody any money. But you've got to keep you've got to keep moving, otherwise you, you're not standing still. You're going backwards. And we had a tagline in the uh, in the early days: um, the best way the hockey's ever been presented. And I think, to an extent, I think that got under the skins of of, of our friends at the FIH uh, because they uh, their retaliation was to come up with the pro league, um, <laughs> and, and thereby thank the story. Um, but I, I, I honestly believe that. I, I, I think it did. I think it did irk them the fact that this, this strap line was being used and felt that that was something that they, that somewhere they should be. And I can understand that from their point of view. And uh, whether they've achieved achieved it to knock the the uh, EHL off, off that tag, uh, that's for others to judge. I think. But all I do know is about TV is what you see at the, uh, is what you get at the moment. But things can change very dramatically, and uh, providing we can keep pace and we can we can live within our means, there's no reason why the EHL won't continue to to push that envelope along. Oh, a, a, you know, a, fa- a fantastic project. Now you've just mentioned the FIH there, and something that we've talked about a fair bit on the show is the language of hockey, and particularly the language coming from from our commentators. Um, now you've got your own obvious, obvious inimitable style, and something we we like about the variants of the commentators that we've got involved with the game is everybody brings something different to it, and the, you know there's a there's a variation. Now there there seems to be a bit of a directive from the FIH to uh, FIH commentators on on their games that there's certain terms that can and cannot be used. What what are your feelings on that? Well, I'm not really involved with with the FIH commentary. Uh, teams these days um, not my choice um, and so I have I'm, I'm aware of what you're talking about uh, but I wouldn't 
take a direction from, I, I like to remain independent, I think that's important. Um, I am an independent thinker. Um, I'm not a, a sounding board for EHF or FIH or EHL or, or any competition. And I want to have the freedom when I go into the comedy box to express myself in my own way. Uh, I like to think I would never do damage to the game because it's the game that I have huge respect for, uh, both for those that play it and, and those those that run it. But um, no, I'm, I'm aware of this, um, and the lexicon of hockey is, is an interesting one, and I, I still struggle with you know long corners that are actually taken from the middle of the pitch <laughs> and, th and things like that, and, and, and obviously we've, we've got our dilemmas with with the uh, uh, imperial measurements and, and, and the metric measurements, all the rest of it, and, and the 16-yard hit and all the rest, and yeah, it, 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 it's, it's an interesting an interesting argument, but as I say to you, I, I wouldn't sign up to anything that, that was prescriptive of me and how I should express myself. And one reason I wouldn't is because I couldn't guarantee that in the heat of battle, <laughs> I wouldn't revert to what has become yeah. part of my DNA over the last 30 years. Yeah. And I don't believe in signing contracts that I, I can't actually honour, so... Um, I think it was something that's a bit of nonsense, to be honest with you. I, I thought they had other things to worry about. You are listening to the Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast. Thank you for joining us for episode 104. Um, Mid-conversation here with Nick Irvin, and uh, hope you're enjoying the chat. Lots more to come. A uh, couple of little shout-outs. Of course, you can follow us on all the social medias, on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram at the Reverse Stick. And if you want to support the podcast, you can be a Patreon subscriber. Go to patreon.com forward slash the reverse stick. Just like Scott Edwards, and uh, we put it out to our Patreon subscribers prior to the recording tonight that Nick was coming on the show, and if anybody had a question for Nick, they could get in touch, and Scott did that. So you know, let's call it our cash for questions. <laughs> if you uh, <laughs> yes. if you want to support us on Patreon, then you can get an exclusive insight as to who's going to be coming on coming up on the show with an interview and uh, post your questions and uh, we can put them direct to our interviewees on the Global Hockey Podcast. And we, we're we going to have to go after some big fishes, I think, Matt. Yeah? Yeah, big fishes. Who are you thinking? Uh, I reckon we should go... Johnny for... Pike? No. <laughs> oh, very huh? clever. Uh, no, I was thinking more of Paul Sanders. Steph Trapped? Oh, <laughs> big, big names in the game. They well, they, well, they um, were in Clint Flicker's day, anyway. Oh, Clint knows all of them. He does. Well, let's get back to Nick Irvin here on The Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast. Uh, Nick, changing tack slightly, something that will probably be on the minds of many people in Great Britain coming up is Brexit. And I'm interested to know if there's been any talk within the hockey community about what that might mean for Great Britain hockey. Will things, will there be any changes at all? Will it just go on as normal? <laughs> I've read about Brexit. Yeah, it came across my head. <laughs> but, um, to be honest with you, when it, the hardest thing for me is is to go away anywhere uh, as a Brit and rather obviously a Brit at times, and not get involved in Brexit conversation. Uh -huh. <laughs> but I can, I can honestly say, hand on heart, that at no point when people have been winding him up about this, this subject has any possible hockey repercussion surfaced. So I'd like, to, I'd like to think that there won't be any changes, that hockey will go on unencumbered, uh, whether we are in Europe or, or out of Europe. I mean, geographically, of course, we, we, we was are in Europe. Um, but, no, I, 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 I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Things that, that might impinge, uh, will be, I guess, the movement of players. You know, we're seeing quite an exodus of players, uh, from the UK, uh, and, and Ireland going across to play in the Belgian league and in the Dutch league. Um, there may be some contractual issues there that I'm not privy to, but I've not heard them openly discussed, uh, at least. And then, of course, there's the other the other matter about you know, where the pound will settle against the euro. 
and whether that's going to make it so expensive for for teams to get across there for their Easter festivals and competing in the European tournaments and so on and so forth. But I, I guess that would be a marginal cost, a bit like when they put the price of beer up. <laughs> you, you grin and bear it, and you pay it. You pay up, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've or, you, or you stop drinking beer, Nick. Obviously. <laughs> Well, it's never been obvious to me. Has no, no, you're right. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Nick, I when you just go down from drinking pints to halves, <laughs> just twice as many of them. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens in the end. Nick, when looking ahead, what what do you see direction? Do you see the game taking? I hope. I hope. I don't see any huge changes. I mean, I I, I follow the arguments about the. The five-a-side game, uh, and I follow the arguments about the threat to our Olympic uh, position. I would love to think that neither of those things will sort of come about. Hockey fives, to me, is is great if you've only got five people, but the eleven-a-side version of the game, to me, is is where it's at, where it's always been at, and where it should always be at. The Olympics are so important, so important to hockey. They are a part of our DNA, um, again, and I would, I would move heaven and earth to retain our position within it. I'm not fully sure why our position is in doubt, beyond the fact that I know the Olympic Association, the IOC, would like to reduce the number of accreditations, yeah. and a hockey squad is, 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 is a big squad. Also, the infrastructure you put in place for an Olympic hockey tournament is hugely expensive. Uh, and when you lay it in places like, like Athens, where there's no uh, history of, uh, uh, of hockey, then it's, it's, if you like, to an extent, dead, dead money. And it's very sad to see Olympic Stadia not being used. The one in London, of course, uh, was only a temporary facility, so that's, that's long since gone. And it looks as if England hockey might be starting to to think beyond Lee Valley, even which was the legacy stadium from the London Olympics. Right. Well, you, you mean with with the likes of the stoop being used? Yeah, I think I think the, I think the stoop was a brave call. It, it wasn't something which I um, was convinced about. I have to be convinced now. And England hockey had the had the balls to to bite that particular uh, bullet and go, it's certainly innovation. Um, I think it's made a few people sit up and take notice and the argument that it's cheaper to, to lay a hockey pitch within a stadium and to build a stadium around a hockey pitch is 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 clear and, and a given so you know if the technology is that good and I, I'd like to see some feedback from the people who actually played in that uh, in those games on the turf down there the New Zealanders and, and, the, and the Brits um, and if it can pass the FIH test which uh, I'm not aware that it has done up to this point, then obviously that's an option going forwards. But, yeah, I, I don't want to see the 11-side game supplanted by some sort of minimised game of, of, of sport. My, my reason for that is, is very simple. The, the thing that in the UK, and as a former schoolmaster, educationist or, or whatever, the thing we've always had to fight against is the greatest commodity of all is is youth and um, what are the boys and what are the girls going to do well it, for the boys the choice has always been soccer for some uh, rugby union uh, or rugby league if you're in the north of England perhaps for, for some uh, creeping into the south a bit more now as well of course and, uh, and hockey and if, I always liked it to when we were youngsters in the school gym and we were asked to pick teams and you always had, you know, somebody had first pick, somebody had second pick, and somebody else had third pick. And, you know, hockey can't always have be the third pick, because the people that are being selected by the other sports are, if you like, the natural athletes, yeah. who could become soccer players, they could become rugby players, but equally, if you throw, put a hockey stick in their hands, they'd be very quickly a very high standard hockey player as well. So the one thing we've had as an advantage over uh, soccer and rugby is the fact that we can point to the fact we are an Olympic sport. Yeah. Uh, I know rugby sevens are in the Olympic, but that, that to me, that's not rugby any more than hockey fives is, is hockey. And so, there's only seven spots in the team. 
and there's only seven <laughs> spots in the team. And and so to me, the eleven-a-side game is is absolutely essential, and we have to find other ways of convincing uh, the IOC that hockey deserves its place. And I think with all the innovations that we we've had, then we ought to be able to make a a pretty strong case on, on that and uh, you know, things like our, our gender balance and our, our spread across the the, the, uh, the Olympic nations and so on and the point I made about about the boys you know is even more so nowadays uh, with the girls because the girls are traditionally it was it was hockey netball and and for some uh, I guess lacrosse but now there's the soccer for girls the rugby for girls and these are getting huge uh, cricket of course huge amount of, um, of publicity uh, of television time and it's a threat to hockey because if 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 the girls are not offered the chance to play hockey at an early age then standards are going to drop oh, I couldn't agree more Nick so when I, you know, when I when I read our, our uh, elite female athletes uh, congratulating England soccer team, uh, congratulating netball team, congratulating rugby team, I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute, girls, because <laughs> to an extent this is the enemy. Yes. I mean, that might that might be a bit extreme, but it, we're in a competitive environment, and, and hockey's got to hold its own, and we have to get our arguments are going to have got to be why hockey. Well, we we're hockey people. We know we know the benefits, the social benefits, the the fun, the pleasure, the enjoyment, the uh, community we've had out of hockey, and and you know, we talk about the hockey family globally. I I can tell you from personal experience in the last couple of years that the hockey family is 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 a real thing. Yeah. And absolutely essential, and that to me is is what makes our game the game that it is, the sport that it is, the sport for life, if you like, uh, a sense of real community. Now, you just said it there, though, f- f- for me, Nick, it's, it's sport for life, That's, it, and, and particularly here with my club, it's club for life, sport for life, That's it, it, and with, with walking hockey from my four-year-old doing hooking to hockey... I want that association for them forever. It's you know that it, we have a yeah, special yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean, before we came on air, you, you and I were chewing the fat about the old days um, playing hockey in, in, in Evesham, yep. uh, which is one of the old stamping grounds, and we were throwing out some names that people knew me when I was not m- much out of short trousers, who taught me and led me into hockey, if you like. You, you, it led me to drink as well. They <laughs> <laughs> certainly led me into into how you hold yourself in in a, in a club environment. What what club means? Yep. What sport means? You know, winning and and losing. You're still friends uh, afterwards. I owe them a huge a huge debt, and and I would hate that not to be there for the kids in, yep. in years to come because somebody in in some sort of moment of of, of of ego or avarice or whatever uh, 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 sold away something very very special uh, we're getting all teary eyed here oh, yeah. on the reverse stick <laughs> episode are. 104 with Nick Irvin oh. <laughs> <laughs> well you two did have a ride on that before I thought you know, I'll just sit back and let you go for it maybe a hotel yeah. room might have been Evesham Hockey Club and my, my hockey at, in, in uh, Leamington and, and, and Coventry Always great rivalry, but, but mainly huge friendships, massive friendships, going back many, many years. And I used to know how many pubs there were between each and each other. <laughs> that was, of course, with the nominated driver, wasn't it, Nick? Well, yeah, that was in the days before the breathalyzer, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing any of us ever survived. It wasn't clever. It wasn't clever. But, good, but it was a lot good of Good times. <laughs> Yeah, there are times of the past, but there's one part of the past we'd like to bring back, Nick, and that's the bully. Uh, do you think bring <laughs> yeah. back the bully? Yeah, this current bully, this this one tap over the top of the ball, it's 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 devalued it to such an extent, isn't it? It's it's um, the the problem that we all know the problem with the bully. I mean, it, it, again, it is part of hockey's DNA. All the ancient pictures that we see. Make it look as if the hockey uh, bully was 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 taking place. Um, the problem with it is, uh, m- without wishing to be too unkind on on the bully, 
I would guess that probably six out of ten bullies result in a free hit one way or the other because somebody had got some Machiavellian trick. <laughs> the other thing I don't like about the bully is the very name because obviously bullying is, uh, a bully is, is something which is not to be admired and has no part in, in, in our sport or indeed any sport. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm happy to mention it every time it comes up on commentary. But um, I'm not sure I'm going to sign up as a full-time uh, bully thing because it, 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 it's like most set pieces. They, they stop the real flow of the game. And I think, you know, we bought in the self-pass now and a lot of the nonsense that's gone out of the game uh, as a result of that. And I can't help but think of a few other games. We, we have a big ball game over here called Association Football. Oh, soccer. Soccer, yeah. yeah you soccer. imagine soccer. You imagine soccer with a, with a self-pass. Well, we're about to find out because uh, you, you may not be aware, but apart from hockey commentary, the last couple of years I've also uh, been lucky enough to do the World Cup Six-A-Side Football uh, World Cup. And this, again, is coming about entirely through through hockey. A friend a friend in hockey uh, put my name in the, in the frame for it. And I went off to Lisbon in Portugal last year and this year we've got to go to Crete, another awful venue with a pitch built on a beach. Oh dear! And it, it's, Dog line. I think, yeah, awful, awful. Something like forty nations, I think, including Australia, are going to be there, and they're, they're trying to refine their rules to make it more action-packed. Uh, and they're going to introduce the uh, the self-pass from the free kicks. And the sideline balls. Now, did, uh, are they also doing uh, a, roll, a rolling sub, or they're taking something else from hockey as well? They, they are. Yeah, they've done pretty much everything. There's a there's a guy who used to play at Alton and West Warwick. He probably still does. Actually, he's a much fitter man than me. <laughs> Tim Orenshaw, and Tim is the FIH and EHF sort of legal guy. He, he's the one when things get nasty and there's an, an issue. Uh, Tim gets involved, but Tim does something very similar with darts and with uh, this six-a-side soccer people. Uh-huh. Uh, and so that it was Tim who put my name into it, and, and we were chewing the fat. And you know, Tim obviously's played hockey and seen some of the rule changes that we brought in, uh, and, and thought he could improve it by introducing some hockey rules. And the self-pass, I think, will be fascinating because the soccer player is going to be turning around and mouthing off the referee and then <laughs> realising the ball's in the back of their net. So I, I hope they catch pretty quickly because it could be fun. <laughs> <laughs> now, Nick, uh, you may or may not know that we have a, a TRS World Eleven, and um, <laughs> we, I've, well, I've been advocating for I, a long look, time. I'm, I'm, I'm honoured to play in any position. Well, there you go. we've got you then. Well, we're figuring an exhibition match before, say, a, a European Cup final against perhaps a World Media Eleven, and we had yep. uh, we had Mason penciled in for centre forward. Uh, we were yep. just wondering where you managed to see yourself in that side. I see myself probably with a whistle in my mouth blowing it. <laughs> oh, no, that's not you and Keely Dunn. We'll get you out there. Uh, if. Uh, Truth to tell, I think all goalkeepers are, are uh, closet centre forwards because yep. we, having been goalkeepers, realise what an easy job being a forward is. I think, and I, I did play a few games outfield. I think every goalkeeper should play outfield now and again. And I used to take penalty strokes for Coventry, which was great when they went in, but it's an awfully long way back <laughs> when, when they didn't. And, and as I remember, they didn't go in that often, but. Um, no, I think I'm afraid my playing days are, 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 are long since over. Much to my chagrin, I, I, I retired too early, uh, but there were few people that thought that at the time, and um, I've, I've regretted it. I, I wish I'd played on for a, a few more years. I didn't really have too many years uh, with artificial turf. My my best hockey, my most enjoyable hockey, was on good old grass. I love it. Well, we, we have our uh, annual uh, artificial, well, the, the the hip replacement versus knee replacement game that happens here in Perth. There's a group of <laughs> over sixties that gathers every Wednesday, and then they have the the uh, the playoff every year for the cup, don't they? They do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw, yeah, the Netherlands. There was a, a Grand Masters over eighties 
game uh, uh, against an England side not too long back? Uh, Masters hockey has just grown like topsy, hasn't it? It's yeah. fantastic what, what's happening. And yeah, the Netherlands and England and Ireland and, and, and Aussie, of course, uh, so instrumental in, in getting it all under, underway. It's been, it's been, been fabulous. And again, it's a great strength of our sport, isn't it? It's uh, the fact he might still be playing. On the subject of, of Australian Masters, by the way, uh, you, you, you may like to know that come the Europeans in, in Antwerp, I've got Todd Williams as part of our commentary team again. Ah, fantastic. And Todd, Todd writes for the hockey paper, yeah? Yeah, he, do, he does. He, and he's doing great things over here, at, uh, coaching uh, youngsters in uh, in hockey. And he, he's, he's, uh, he's a wonderful advert for Australia, for, for Tasmania and all the rest. So he, he's a really top guy. And to me, it's quite nice to have, have somebody part of the commentary team who comes at it from a, a non-European base, if you like, a bit a bit of perspective on things and he's he's very objective and uh, he's a great commentator I'm looking forward to working with Todd again so you're behind the mic for the Euros where, where can we catch that uh, you, you can catch that on uh, Eurohockey uh, uh, TV that's probably going to be the best place for you uh, there will be a, a full list of, of channels that are covering it going out nearer the time but in the commentary team there, I've got uh, myself and Mace and, and Todd, and then the dynamic uh, pairing of uh, Kate and Helen Richardson Walsh. So uh, it's the same Great team, team I had. Well, I'd, I'd like to think so. Some might say it's the nightmare team, but it's, <laughs> it's a dream to me as well. We're going to try and uh, shake it up a little bit as well. There's a strong possibility that. Uh, we may you may hear the girls' voices on some of the men's games and some men, male voices on some of the girls' right. games. Equally amazing. Uh, well, equally amazing is 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 a mantra, and um, if we're going to have mantras in the sport, then we have to do more than pay them uh, lip service, I think. And so I'm also hoping to persuade uh, Kate uh, uh, at some point that she might actually do lead comms on a game or two because you know, we have we have to keep moving forward. And I discussed it with her briefly the other day, and she seems uh, up for that. Uh, Mace, of course, will do a couple of, as well, because some days we've got five and six games, and uh, that's that's quite a quite it takes quite a toll on your voice. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like doing uh, 24 hours of reverse stick, I would guess. But, <laughs> <laughs> I, and just while you're there mentioning uh, the reverse stick, Nick, thanks for the plugs over the last two years um, <laughs> during commentary. I know that they're subconscious or not subconscious, but uh, <laughs> we didn't realise what we're getting into when we chose that name. No, well, it's it, it's a term that I've obviously always known. I, I think it's I think it's a really clever because it means different things to different people, of course, doesn't it? And it's mm. you know you are free thinkers. You, you you're not towing any uh, any political or party lines and I admire you for that and you're adding hugely to the debate and there has to be debate there always has to be debate it's it no one person no one organization owns our sport it's it's our sport at the end of the day and we need to have everyone's voice heard yeah we we, we think so and uh, we like to think sometimes we can give a bit of an alternative view to what's going on sometimes <laughs> Yeah, you do. You, I mean, it's like all of us. Sometimes it's just nice to stir the pot a bit as well, isn't it? And just just to to rattle a few cages. Otherwise, people will do anything. You know, right. if, if 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 there is no one there to, to to moderate, then you know anything can be done in in, in the name of hockey. Well, that that can't be right. And I so think well done. As well, Nick, we've got to try and um, stimulate audience for the game, and. Um, you know, that, that's part of it. Sometimes you just throw things out there because you, tr you want to hear opinion and you want people to start engaging. And this is just another way of trying to get people to engage in the game a bit more. I agree. I, I, anything that we can do to get people to be more engaged, and those who are already engaged, perhaps as players, become more involved and spread the word a little bit. I mean, we, at the end of the day, the old saying is you, you get the, the game you deserve. And, and I, I know... And that was going back to those talks at the BBC uh, about grandstand, and it was very true because you, you had a situation whereby you might have a game between England and, and Australia taking place on a pitch, let's say somewhere near London, and before you could sell a single ticket for that or anyone think about going, all of the hockey matches would have to take place first of all, 
and people always, uh, it's a strange thing about our sport, but it's a strength of sport in some ways and a frustration in others, that it's a game that people love to play and they'll play it before they ever, <laughs> yeah. And now how can you, how can you criticize a sport that people want to play rather than watch? Yeah. You, you, you can't, can you? But it's true that we, you know, we'd put on some top international fair for people to enjoy. But still, they'd rather go and play for their fifth team and their sixth yeah, team. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's crazy. <laughs> so we had we, we have to come up with different ways that people can do both. Yeah. Perhaps they can with their fifth team and sixth team and their families and come and watch after they've had their their own sport as well. Yeah. Uh, but we we need more months in the year. We need more days in the week. Um, and and we just need yeah. Yeah, but the, the, I think that sentiment there is exactly the same as the the hockey paper campaign of watch your ones um, at, at the moment, trying to get club sides down to watch their their ones teams play. Um, yeah, that, and and that's it, it's it's exactly the same echo at international level, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot behind that as well, and and, and I've not spoken to to Rod Gilmore, the editor, about it specifically, but. Uh, I'm aware because I was involved last season with with streaming live streaming of games from Beeston. from Beeston, yeah, 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 up at the Highfields, a hockey centre there, and again, great innovation from from the guys up there. Huge amount of work on their part to to, to make it happen. Yeah, and I was delighted to be to, to be involved uh, with that. But the reality of the situation is that we're putting stuff out on, on, on well, let's call it TV, but it, it's onto computer screens or your TV screen via streaming. Yeah. Where w- the shop window for the sport is, is, is not great in that there's a high quality game of hockey taking place, often with several international on display, but there are three men and a dog watching it. Yeah. It, and that's the you know that's the old argument. I'm not suggesting Beeson only get three men and a dog, but the the, the figures are not great, and and I think the England hockey are, are nervous about that. That stuff is going out there that doesn't portray hockey quite as they would like to have it portrayed. Yeah, but, but, but we, we we struggle sometimes, Nick, at international games because we we have the camera set up on the main stand side banking out onto some a grassy area on the far side with three men and a dog on it um you know right absolutely right and look of course a lot of that's to do with the the cost of 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 production um and if one side is demonstrably cheaper to to film from than the other then they'll always take the the cheaper option the position of the sun and we were discussing the issues in in uh in Valencia uh, uh, about the sun and that's you know that's a difficult one it's not much you can do about the good old sun it's not usually a problem in the UK because it just doesn't bother coming out yes. those days. <laughs> it's an exception 36 degrees or something um, but no it, 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 it's, it's a, it is a problem um, and it's hard for the commentator to be upbeat in commentary if there's nothing coming back off the off the stands or the terraces because however, however you sell it it just sounds like a a village fate. Yeah. So you know, we, we uh, getting behind the first team is, is is a good step, I think, along along the line. That if more and more clubs adopt streaming, and I'm sure they will, um, then we have to present it uh, both in terms of to people who might be keen to get involved in our sport that this is something which is exciting, um, but also people who might want to see it as a commercial um, route for them to advertise on on some of these yeah. narrow casts that you know here's a sport and that's something a beast have done exceptionally well their links with the with the community uh, I think with the possible exception of Surbiton in, in England are you know without parallel certainly in in these shores now th- their visibility is incredible I hats off to them I, I retweet and repost and do everything that you know they put out they, they had the, the rock and roll hockey season the season before last and um they seem yeah, to be a, a club that sets an example for others to follow there in the UK. They are, but we've had a salutary uh, example this week about what can happen when things things go pear-shaped with the... Uh, with Canuck? With Canuck, <laughs> yeah. which is very, very sad news. Again, I had so many good times up there and good people. You know, people like Laurie Olcock and the entire Mayer family uh, and many, many, many others. I, I had a conversation conversation with Greg Bloomer, who was the chair a couple of years ago there, um, and they were they were struggling with 
contracts and everything that was going on with the ownership and the split between the women's side and the men's side and the and the cricket and yep. it, it was all um, all heading to unfortunately this demise. Yeah, very very sad. Uh, I saw the other day it's on the market for. £295,000 or something like that, which yeah. seems dirt, dirt cheap to me. I've, I've had a look through the, uh, the biscuit tin and I can't quite <laughs> <out of it. laughs> if, uh, if I win the lottery this week, I might put a bid in because there must be more than £295,000 with a turf. Oh, incredible. Is it two or three, th- three turfs there? They've got at least two, two wet ones as yeah, far yeah. as I remember. And probably a couple of sands as well. And when they built the clubhouse, it was pretty much state of the art. But you have to keep on top of these things. Yeah. And I think as so often is the case, that's that's perhaps where they took the eye off the ball a bit. Yeah. Well, I, saw, I, I, I remember going up there as a youngster and seeing Chris Mayer playing National League for for Canuck up there, and uh, I saw that he popped <laughs> popped up on uh, on the local local paper the other day, and well, a couple of days ago when I read read the article that you you just talked yeah. about that. Yeah, uh, very very sad, and uh, you know, so we, hockey needs to to be, yeah, live within its it, it, its means and be ambitious, but keep your eye on the on them pounds, shillings, and pence as well. Yeah, that's it. And look, they 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 had the dream there of having the the turf next to the club rooms, and there's a lot of clubs in the UK that would love that with uh, you know so many school pitches being the necessity to to go and play. We're in a fortunate position here. We're we're about to move into our own brand new club rooms with the turf and grass fields, and uh, the future's bright for us, and hopefully it can be bright for lots of others out there as well. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, you mentioned about the school turfs. Of course, the threat to the school turfs is. Uh, whether schools opt to put down a 3G or yeah, 4G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of demands of other sports. Uh, it could be, could be very interesting. A lot will depend on what technology is, it comes up for a hockey pitch that doesn't need to be watered. Well, this so is what, this is, this is what we've been promised. Um, but ready for Paris. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's see what happens with that one. We're back on grass anyway. You know, we can play internationals on grass as long as both teams agree, Nick. It's all good. Well, I, uh, one or two people quite close to me are, are championing that idea as well and, and suggesting that that's where it all went wrong. And I don't think it'd be too many objections in countries like South Africa and Pakistan perhaps. Uh, to see a return to, to good old grass. Yeah. As I said, I played, I played my best hockey, most enjoyable hockey on, uh, on grass. Well, John, John sitting next to me, he's playing yeah. over 50s, I play a bit of over 40s, that's all, all the grass competition is all, in Perth, is all on grass on a Saturday afternoon still. Oh dear, must must be awful with the sun beating down. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> I, I actually think that's that. When it comes to this grass versus turf debate, I think juniors are better off staying on grass for as long as they can be kept there. I, you often see players adapt easier moving from grass to turf than they do coming back the other way. And I've seen a lot of guys drop out of the game because they weren't playing on turf anymore. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the old skills uh, that we, we had to ad- adapt and, and adopt on, on turf would hold very very well on uh, on artificial turf I'd, I'm not sure it's an easy sell to the kids though because of course the, <laughs> no. the skills that the skills that they want to learn are the the flashy skills the sort of the, the things that are probably contribute to about five percent of the game and the 95 percent of the game the, the core skills they find rather hard work a bit like learning the scales at music I guess yeah but uh, I'm I'm old school enough to 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 think that yeah they do a lot better getting back to some of the basic skills rather than trying to pull off these remarkable uh, uh, tomahawk type skills and, and 3D skills. Graces is to see them. They have a of course they have a a, a place to play in the game and and we all enjoy and and they bring us to our feet. But uh, the ability to stop a ball and pass it accurately over ten or 15 metres is also quite handy at times <laughs> <laughs> and then, but we delight in that as as, as the viewer and, and average hockey players that they can stuff it up just as well as we can <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and, and they do and, and just like the commentator stuffing it up is, is, is a regular occurrence <laughs> Nick it's been an absolute pleasure um, the line you said earlier on best team sport of the lot 
that will stay with me we'll, we're, we're going to put that on the, the little bio with uh, putting the podcast out as well we believe it is as well too so thank you so much for your time and thank you for so much uh, for, for what you've given to the game and uh, we can't wait to hear you in our lug holes very soon <laughs> that's very kind and thanks for the opportunity I've, I've been a distant admirer of your work keep it up guys you're doing a great job oh, thanks a lot Nick it's a pleasure You are listening to The Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast, and that was the voice of hockey, many would say. Indeed. Nick Irvin, what an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Nick, for joining us. Thank you for your generosity and your time. Yeah. Um, and hopefully our listeners enjoyed that. Yeah. I certainly did. Absolutely. It was great having a chat to him, and uh, you're finding out more about him, too. And you know, um, Like you, we mentioned as well, we had a, a bit of a yarn before, before as we always do. We, we start this conversation The octopus was in action again. Oh, dear. And uh, Nick mentioned a couple of fellas that I grew up playing hockey with. They were in advanced years at, at that stage, but uh, um, some absolute legends of, of Midlands hockey. And, uh, yeah, beautiful. Just beautiful. Makes me feel all warm and fuzzy, John. I think we should warn any potential interviewees that... Um it, it, you know, any interview with us involves 20 minutes pre before the interview. <laughs> Were you trying to find your little tentacles through the seven degrees of separation that link you to the person? But I'm, you this is the thing, mate. I'm, I'm I'm not a remarkable character in hockey at all. But it just it's amazing how the, the links of the hockey family can work. Just, uh, it's it's yeah, it's one or two steps of separation every single time with it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, oh, it's great talking to Nick too. Um, which means we're sadly near the end of our program. <laughs> well, we have to, look, we're going to have to run through Few some things. stuff. Really right, quickly. Okay, very quick. Uh, Scott Tupper has been named the Canadian um, flag bearer for the Pan Am Games in Lima in Peru. Good Obviously, stuff. that's coming up. Start twenty uh, eighth, I think. Unfortunately, we're not going to see much of that online. Uh, this, uh, the deal with the host broadcaster means that probably only the semi-finals and the finals are going to be available to view. Um, Pay per view online. Hey. Uh, sadly for hockey fans all over the Americas and elsewhere in the world, the field hockey competition broadcast will be very limited, semi-finals and finals only, and there will not be any online streaming. This is a, there's a post from the Pan Am Hockey Association. Head to the site there, uh, to the PAHF, uh, for more information. But yeah, sadly, we ain't gonna get our eyes on much of that. Uh, little quick thing. Tim Cross, former Australian international, is becoming an in- Irish international head to the hook for the whole story on that uh, HGC in the Netherlands uh, announced a, a couple of big oh what's going on here I made a mistake still talking it's alright we're still here John no worries uh, HGC signed uh, uh, Davinder Valmiki and Harjeet Singh for next season and for the EHL campaign of course uh, players like Ashley Jackson Max Plenavo Tangai Cousins uh, have all moved on um, some big changes there with Paul Van Ass bringing in some new names and a couple of Indian names in there. Let's see how the boys go there. We spoke about that on the Push Pass Pundits. Uh, Indian Indian internationals and perhaps the need for exposure to uh, continental European continental leagues. You can only train so much. Whilst we're in Europe, coming up this weekend, John, England Hockey Summer Masters Championships on the 28th. Uh, oh. The final 20 teams from an original 86... You mentioned Pan Am. Yeah. Quan. Oh, Quan Brown, Quan of course. Brown. Well, Quan Swan Song to international hockey in the Pan Am Games, yeah? Yeah. I'm pretty sure the... the, the Are you calling him out for a Melba? Well, the Central African Games, not the African Games, the Central American Games, I think was his swan song last time around. I'm pretty sure we've already said goodbye to Quan from international hockey. And he's just come out for one it's last the tour. reunion tour. Well, this is it. It's John Farnham all over again. No, it? it's a classic Dame Nelly. Is it? it, it yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I know that in the modern Australian lexicon you'd call it a John Farnham, but it, it really, truly rests with the great Dame Nelly Melba. Anyway, good luck, Quan. Does that mean we could call him Nelly now? Good luck, good, <laughs> good luck Quan and the TNT boys. All the best. Um, uh, yeah, Oxford Hawks Hockey Club this weekend. Men's over 40s. Oh, anyway, look. Norton, West Hearts, Harrogate, Cambridge City, Timperley, Havering, Brooklyn's Point and Oxford Hawks, Worcester, 
Taunton Vale, Wakefield, St Albans, Huddersfield Dragons, Hampstead and Westminster, Clitheroe and Blackburn, Northern, Surbiton, Sheffield University, Bankers, Leicester, Wesley, Lamington and Westbury's all taking part of the action there this weekend. Good luck to all. Yes. More um, stuff to come on Pakistan as well. We'll we'll cover that next week. Yeah, a year to go to the Olympic Games. Yep. If I just cross that. Also, an interesting idea we'll flesh out more next week. Uh, hockey ID. ID standing for intellectual disability. Yeah, program. well, Flyers program has, has, has led the yep. way in the UK with that and across Europe. Fantastic but that's uh, a program running in Asia. But we'll, so we'll talk about that more. One very last thing. Uh, Scored and Hockey Dreams Foundation and Gribbert have come together to... Uh, uh, make available to you, the hockey public, a fantastic gribbed uh, stick grip that the proceeds will go to the Hockey Dreams Foundation and all the great work that they do. And, of course, you go back to maybe show 50 or something like that. Chase Hardiman of the Hockey Dreams Foundation, the founder there, was on board, a man who played for international hockey for a country that no longer exists. Interesting concept. Get on to that. Get one of those grips. Why not? Beautiful little pink thing with the Hockey Dreams Foundation logo in the middle. Do some good for world hockey. Some good stuff that hap- that's happening in Africa with the guys there. And uh, have a good hockey weekend because that's all we've got. For yeah, you got a game this weekend? No, I've got to work. Oh, yeah. I play Sunday, mate. We win. We go top of the ladder. Do you? Yeah. We're already there. Two goals from me, I reckon. Ego. like I might be out with for some representative honours. Well, I heard you uh, you got an email. I did. No, all, do you have to win something for honours? All I've got to do is uh, fill out the nomination form and um, pay the money, I think. Yeah? And you're in? Uh, I, 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 look, there might be a formal selection process. Yeah? And I just don't gr- know. I the, think it might be just grease the, grease the palms, you'll be fine with that? No, no, it'd be done fairly, I would imagine. On your ability? Yeah, well, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a Divi 2 state team, so I'm playing Divi 2. Yeah. I've got a goal on the weekend. Yeah. Okay. Premiership play. Yeah, all right, I don't know where this is going. Three times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Just sad. Hmm? Wait a long time. I think this is shit. If I had known all you had to do was no, fill out a form and play 50 bucks, <laughs> I'd have been the Cooker Bar a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>